0: do in 24 hours all the lives you could touch all the significant changes that could be made in your life and others the fact is you could actually make a difference in this world in 24 hours or not so how are you investing your time you only get so much you only get so much time you only get 24 hours 1440 minutes 86,400 seconds in a day we all have the same time, and no matter how much money you have, you can't take that money and buy any more time. Let me we welcome you to Crossroads this morning. Let me also welcome those who are joining us online. Uh, let me encourage you to do something even in the audience: take up, uh, pick up your uh, cell phone if you will, and log on to Facebook. And if you will, on your personal Facebook page, or go from our page to your page and share uh, today's message. Because today we're bringing, beginning a brand new series. Uh, that we're calling "I quit," and I want to encourage you to think uh, kind of outside the box because you hear the you hear the words "I quit," and you're going to think it's totally something different than where we're going to go over the next three or four weeks. So we want to encourage those who are here, those who are listening online, those who are watching online to take uh, the feed of this service and actually share it from our Facebook page, the Crossroads Facebook page, to your Facebook page. Because again, as I say every week, it just multiplies exponentially the amount of people that can be exposed today uh, to the Word of God. And not only today, it stays up there all week. So they can log on to your Facebook page. Maybe when you post something uh, edifying uh, and good and positive, uh, they can go see that you were actually watching, and maybe they'll be encouraged to watch it as well. Again, it's a series that I think is going to go in a different direction than most people might have expected. You know, we've had a crazy 14 months. I mean, since March 2020, uh, it's been crazy. I mean, our schedules have been interrupted. The things that we've been spending our time doing, uh, it's different. But one of the things that I've been hearing lately, especially since last year, one of the things that I've been hearing people saying is, You know, now that things are kind of getting back to normal, can I just stop and say I'm not going to use the word normal. I'm just going to have to quit using normal because I told you this before. We don't want to go back to normal because normal wasn't working. But we want to get a semblance of life again. Uh, We want to do greater things uh, with our lives. We want to do greater things in the church. But one of the things that I'm hearing people say over and over again is, is, is they want to go back in and, and, and do the things that, that were a part of their life, that, 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 that were encouraging, the exciting, the, the things that they love to do with family, the things they love to do with friends, and we're starting to see people do that even now. But here's what else I'm hearing people say. They're not only wanting to go back and do some of the things that they were accustomed to doing, they're wanting to add things to their schedule. They're they're wanting to see new things. They're wanting to experience new things. There there are things out there that they want to try, and there are things that they need to do. I mean, I've had people say, you know what, I I have a list of things that that, that I haven't been able to do, Randy, that I want to try, as well as some new things I'm going to add to my schedule. And, And again, if there's anything, if there's anything that these last 14 months have taught us, they've taught us. That we only have so much time, and we need to take that time, and we need to do things, and we need to try things. And we shouldn't let time get by without us doing the things that we want to do. But here's what I'm going to challenge you with this morning. Go back and think about your life before March of 2020. And, and, And as you think about your life before all of this craziness of the last 14 months kicked in... What would be the one word that you would use to describe your life? Because I think all of us have a word that we would say, you know, that we could come together and we could say, you know, this really describes the way my life was. Before the pandemic, before COVID-19, what, what, what would be the one word that you would use? And I'm going to tell you what I think unanimously, all of us, it doesn't matter where we are economically, what we make as a salary, it doesn't matter how many kids we have or, 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 or if we're married or if we're single. But if there's any word that I think describes most people's life in this culture, in this society, it's the word busy. I mean, all of us would say that we're busy. So my guess is going to be that, that one of the problems that you're going to face in the upcoming months, especially since we're approaching summer, and it looks like summer is going to have some of the same beautiful things that it had prior to COVID-19, we're going to be able to do things and, and go places. But one of the things that I see happening in the upcoming months, and one of the things that I think you're going to have to face in the upcoming months, is trying to fit things into your schedule. And, and, and again, you're, 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 you're looking forward to the opportunity to do the things. But, but more importantly, I think a lot of you are looking uh, at the opportunity of adding things. And, and if you're looking at trying and adding and doing more things, then, then one of the things that you're facing is that you're facing a schedule that's already packed with things that you know you need to do, things you know that you have to do. So knowing that that's what most of us want, knowing that that's the direction we're headed, it it made me think, perhaps in pursuit of the schedule that you're already making out for your family, for you, for the summer, for the fall, for next year, perhaps in pursuit of all the things that you know you have to do and that you want to do, but in addition to that, all those things that you want to try, maybe there are some current things. Maybe there are some old things that you've been doing for a long time, and maybe you've been doing those old things out of habit. But maybe there are some things that you need to quit. Follow where I'm going? Maybe maybe there are some things that you need to quit. Maybe as you, you step into this next season of life that I think all of us are looking forward to, Maybe as you step into this new season, may, maybe the answer is to, a, to, 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 to have a healthier, happier, and more successful life. Maybe it doesn't lie in all the things that you want to do. But maybe that healthier, happier, more successful life, maybe that life actually lies in what you're willing to quit. I mean, think about it. What are, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to stop doing? And and it kind of forces us to ask ourselves the question: How do we do that? Because most of the things that you have on your schedule are things that you you have to do that you want to do, and then you're wanting to add all of these other things that are new that you want to try to do. So it kind of forces you to ask the question: Well, how do how do I do that? How do we quit? Lisa Turkhurst wrote a book several years ago that she called The Best Yes. And I'm sure that some of you ladies in, in, in here have read that book and are very familiar with who she is and, and her writings. But in her writing, Lisa talks and identifies what she says are two of the most powerful words in the world. And those two powerful words that she identifies, what she says are the two most powerful words in all of the the world are the words yes and the word no. Now, what's interesting is this. What's interesting is in the book that she wrote, she goes on to say that if I desire to change the way that in my life I actually am going to use the world's two most powerful words then it's not going to happen by me just trying harder. It's not going to happen by me just dreaming more. It's not going to happen by me just working myself to death. She says, if I truly desire to change the way that I use the world's most powerful words, then I have to change the approach that I use when I make decisions. I have to change my approach to the way that I make decisions and it made me think one of the best ways that I can set this up is 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 by going to the Old Testament and set this series up by going to the Old Testament because it's in the Old Testament that we find a story that you and I have looked at numerous times but we find in the Old Testament the story of Joshua. And I know I've talked to you guys about the story of Joshua. More importantly, I've talked to you about the story of Joshua and Caleb. And again, I want to set this up, but as I set this up this morning, I'm going to do it in a context that's refreshing to me because it's a context of the story of Joshua and Caleb that I have never seen before. And again, it's one of the reasons why I encourage you to always get in the Word, to get in the Bible, to open the Bible, and to read it. Let me tell you, you may not understand it. There are things in Scripture, honestly, that I don't even understand. But one of the things that I do know is I will, if I will take the effort to open God's Word, get you a, a paraphrase, the, 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 the message or the passion translation. Uh, again, there's another one that I use sometimes, the voice those are in words, those are written in words like you and I talk, and it's much easier for you to understand. I don't necessarily suggested you always go there to one of those but a paraphrase will get you started and then pull out the NIV or the TNIv or or, or the one of one of the other mini translations the King James translation open it up and put those side by side and look at it because what you need to do is you need to take the scripture and you need to dive into it you need to mine into it you need to dig into it so that you start to understand or get an understanding of God's word and how God wants you to live his your life because he He's given you everything you need in his word to make every decision that you're ever going to have to make about life. It's found in the scripture. Get in there, mine it out, dig it out, find out what God has to say about it. And the beauty of that is this. You can look at a scripture that you have read a hundred times. And maybe the last time that you read that scripture, you were on the mountaintop. Life was good. Everything was going right. The marriage was good. The job was good. The money was right. People were treating you right. But then you read that very same scripture in the valley. And in the valley, that scripture, the very same words that you read on the mountaintop, they spoke to you in a totally different way. They showed you that you saw something in God's word that you didn't see when you were on the mountaintop. And that's the reason the Scripture tells us that it's alive and active. It's like a a double-edged sword cutting deep. The Scripture is like a prism that you hold up to the light, and you turn it one way, you see one thing. You turn it another way, you see something totally different. But it's the very same thing. It's God's Word. Dive into it, get into it, mine into it, because it's there that you're going to find the answers to the questions of life. And that's what happened to me. I saw something in the story of Joshua and Caleb that I have never seen before. And I have seen that story many times. Because, see, it's in Joshua 14. That's where we find Caleb reminding Joshua, reminding Joshua of the reward that was due to him because of his courage. And that courage happened some 40 years earlier. All those years ago when Moses had instructed uh, 12 men to go into the promised land, to go into the promised land and, and to do reconnaissance, to gather intelligence, to go into the promised land. But it was only Caleb and Joshua who came back with a report and stood strong and told Moses that they believed that the land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, they believed that that land could be taken. Now, most of you remember that story. A lot of you remember that story. But let me tell you the story just in case. Moses gets to the edge of the promised land, and he sends 12 spies into the promised land just to go in and scope out the land. Just look at it. Just do a little reconnaissance and tell us, come, tell us what's there, what you find there, and then come back and give us a report. But when 10 of those men came back, they had a very different report from Joshua and Caleb. Very different. Ten of those men gave Moses this account. Moses, we went into the land. It truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a beautiful land. It's amazing, Moses, but the people that live there are powerful. And the cities there are fortified and they're strong. Now some of the translations say that we looked at that land in in the promised land and we saw those people and they were like giants. And those ten men compared themselves to those giants and they said that they felt like that they were ants. So these ten men who come back and report to Moses, they report from the vantage point of their confidence. they they, they come back and they report report to Moses about whether they felt confident that the Israelites could go in and and take the land. And when 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 they go and they report to Moses, when they lack the confidence, when they lack the confidence, they lack the confidence that they believe the Israelites could go in and take the land. The thing that I started to see is when they lack the confidence that it could be done, they lack the courage that the Israelites could do it. And even more tragically, in their assessment of the promised land, they lacked the faith that God would be with them. Those 10 spies, those 10 men that came back and reported to Moses, didn't feel like they had the confidence to be able to take the land. I want, to give you, I want you to give this some thought those ten men said, you know, we, we're not confident that we can do it. But Joshua and Caleb didn't come back that way. Joshua and Caleb didn't come back and report to Moses based on their confidence. But instead, they reported back to Moses based on their conviction. Though they had seen the exact same obstacles that the other ten men had reported to Moses... The report of Joshua and Caleb was totally different. Here's the way Caleb told the story two decade, uh, t- the story four decades later. Here's what he says: I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according. Now look at what it says. I mean, it says it right here: according to my conviction. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. In other words, he's talking about the other ten spies. But I, Caleb, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Let there be no discrepancy this morning. The land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. The land of Israel belongs to the Israelites. God says it here the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. It didn't say for a time limit. Israel belongs to the Jewish people, and it belongs to them today and forever because God said it was so. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, Now, look at what Caleb is saying. He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. Now, look at what he says. This is Caleb, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now. As I was then. What, 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 what's he saying? What is Caleb actually saying? I, I'm going to tell you this morning, this is so important, but here's the thing I believe Caleb is saying this morning. He is telling us, he is instructing us this morning at Crossroads that we need, that we need to be driven by our convictions, we can't be driven by confidence. We're to be driven by our convictions, not by confidence. I mean, did you catch what what we saw in verse 7? Caleb brought back a report according to his convictions. It was not according to his confidence. It wasn't based on what he saw. It was based on what he felt. It was his convictions. That's the report that he brought to Moses. And I'm going to tell you this morning, this is so good. And the reason this morning this is so good is because most of you in this audience, most of you watching online and listening online, even myself, most of the time we're driven by confidence. And that confidence comes from the approval of people. The confidence that we have is is driven by the people around us. We're driven by this inward feeling of of whether or not we can succeed at something. And many times it has to do with the people that we surround ourselves with. Now think about that. Caleb was one of 11 other spies. There were 12 total. But Caleb steps away from the crowd. Caleb went with his convictions. Not his confidence. Caleb was one of the two that didn't go along with the crowd. And I'm totally sure that he knew that when those other 10 spies found out that he wasn't going along with them, I'm sure that Caleb knew and Joshua knew that it was going to be awkward. I'm sure that he knew that those other 10 spies were going to be disappointed that he did not support their fear-based initiative. Can somebody in the house recommend or understand that that's what we got going on in our country right now? Everything is driven by fear, and we need to cast that to the side. We need to be driven by our convictions, not by our confidence. So what would it look like? What would it look like as you start to plan a schedule for the summer, as you start to plan your schedule for the next week, what would it look like when you think about all the things that you want to start doing? And even more, what would it look like when you think about the things that you want to quit? If you base those things off of your convictions, not your confidence. Let me give you a great place to start. As you live your life, as you look to make decisions of things that you're going to do and things that you're going to quit doing, choose to be proactive, not reactive. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about the impact of social media and technology on our lives. And as we were talking, I made the point that, you know, it's so easy for me to allow email to become my to-do list. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, what's the first thing you get up and do in the morning? What's the first thing? But before you, I'm going to tell you, I could almost go in, I, I would want to, but I could go into many of your homes and I could, you know, sit over in the corner and you were getting up in the morning and I guarantee you the first thing you did before your feet hit the floor, you brushed your teeth or you went to the restroom, I'm going to guarantee the first thing you do is the very first thing that I do. The very first thing I do is I reach over, turn my phone on and check my email. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You check your text messages. Yes, because I'm that guy who will text you at 3.30 in the morning because I can't sleep and I will have it there for you when you wake up the next morning so that you know what's going on or what's happening or where you need to be or what I need you to do. That's the way I work. Right, Lori Dove. I mean, I mean, many times, it's just, it's just so funny because, I mean, when I'm up at 3.30, I expect everybody else to be up, so I'm writing emails and I'm writing to-do lists and things that I need you to do. Again, think about it. The very first thing you do in the morning is you open up the phone and you open up the app or whatever you use, Gmail, you know, Yahoo, whatever it is, and you check your text message and your email. And I told my friend, I said, how can it be That people wake up in the morning, and it'd be so easy to wake up in the morning and look at your email and begin to craft what your day's going to look like based on your email. How many of you do that? Because here's the thing I'm going to tell you. If that's the way you live your life, if that's what you do, that's a horrible idea. Why is that a horrible idea? Because if that's the way you craft your schedule is by looking at your email, what are you doing? You're living your life and you're reacting. You're reacting. So ultimately, if this is the way you approach your day and your schedule, that means that tells me that you don't have any time in your schedule, any margin in your schedule to do the things that you're really passionate about. Listen to what I'm telling you this morning. Your emails might need to be on your to-do list, but they don't need to be your to-do list. They might be on your list of things to do, but they should never be your to-do list. So it brings me to the point where many of you are in life right now. Here's the thing. Many of us in this auditorium, those watching, listening online, the reality of many people's lives right now is that we are consistently living our lives at the mercy of other people. Other people's requests are dictating the decisions in your life. You're allowing other people to dictate how and when and what you do in life. And when you do that, you become a slave to the demands of other people. You become a slave to others' demands when you let our time become dictated by requests. So that tells me that means that you're living reactive instead of proactive. And I'm going to tell you this morning, living a reactive life will exhaust you. It'll exhaust you really, really quick. You get requests from people to do things and to be places and to to be included in things, and you fill your schedule so quickly that you fill your schedule all the way to the limit. We need to live proactive versus reactive. But but, but did you notice verse 11 of the passage that we just read? We're not going to put it back up on the screen, but verse 11 says, this is Caleb. He says, I'm still as strong as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I'm 45 years later. He's saying, I'm just as strong, I'm just as vigorous to go into battle if somebody asked me as I was 45 years ago. Now, now, what God is telling us, God is telling us that Caleb still has strength. And it made me think, it made me look at this and really wonder, Why is this even in there? Again, this is one of those things that I would be inclined to just kind of read right over and we don't give it much thought. But why did God allow verse 11 of the text that we just read to actually be included in the text? I mean, that's a relevant question that you should always ask. Why is this here? And again, I'm going to tell you this morning. We don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't say why God included verse 11. But you have to believe that there's a reason that God goes out of his way to actually include this concept that here is Caleb 45 years later, and he's just as strong and vigorous as he's ever been. So now hear what I'm about to say. This is my opinion. I believe I know why this is in Scripture. The reason I believe that this is in Scripture is simply because it communicates to us that when you're living your life proactively versus reactively, when you're being proactive versus reactive, when you're not allowing your time to be dictated by the requests of other people, And the demands around you, then it breathes life into you. It gives you energy. Because here's the thing. We have a tendency, it doesn't matter who we are, what economic scale we are on. We have a tendency to leave very little white space in our lives. We have no margin in our lives. So the result is that we fill up our schedule, we fill up our time with all of these things that we need to do, all these requests that have been made of us, and we try to do all of those things. So what that really does is we live a life that exhausts us. And if you're living a life based on all these things that have been requested of you, things that you need to do, a schedule that is packed... And you're exhausted. Then what that tells me is that you're never experiencing deep satisfaction of your soul. You're never experiencing deep satisfaction of the soul. Lisa Turker says. The decisions we make. Dictate. The schedules we keep. The schedules we keep determine the lives that we live. So this is just not about quitting things. This isn't just about quitting things. These next four weeks are actually about so much more. This is actually about you and I honoring God with the time that he gives us. This is about you and I honoring God with our time. Dot, dot, dot. This is about satisfaction of the soul. It's about soul satisfaction. Because here's the thing, listen. I know the hopelessness. I, I felt the hopelessness that comes with allowing my schedule to get out of control. I felt the hopelessness When my schedule gets crazy. And I want you to hear me this morning. When my schedule gets crazy and I have more things to do than I have time to get those things done. You know the things that suffers? My soul suffers. My spirit suffers. Am I right? My soul suffers. And yes, there are other things that suffer as well. You know what else? My family, my job, my attitude, my health. But it's the deep, deep sadness of the soul. That's the thing that impacts all those other things. So it really brings me to a place where I need to show you something that I think is so important that we need to understand when we're looking at what what we're going to include in our time, how we're going to use our time. The thing that I think is so important is this. You need to live your life to be loving. Live your life to be loving, not loved. Because see, if there's any word that I have always struggled with, listen to me this morning. Listen, if there's any word that I have always struggled with, it's one of those two most powerful words in the world. It's the word no. I always struggle with saying no to people. And as I started preparing this this message for this Sunday, I started to think and ask the question, why? Why do I struggle with the word no? No. And I discovered it's because I equated no with not serving people. Because I thought that no meant that I wasn't serving someone. But I was wrong. There's a difference between living your life to be loving versus living your life to be loved. Now listen to what I'm saying. The word no and quitting will never make sense in your vocabulary if you're living your life to be loved. The words no and quitting will never make sense. I mean, look at, look at Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Come on now. So that you may become blameless and pure. Then you will shine. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Again, it's one of those times that I read the scripture and something stands out that I never had seen before. In this context. It's those four words. Then you will shine. Now think about that. Then you will shine. What does that sound like? That sounds like somebody who has experienced deep soul satisfaction. Am I right? That sounds like somebody who has, ha- has the, uh, experienced a, a soul that has been fulfilled. That's what it looks like. That's what it resembles. A- a- and remember, Jesus called us. Jesus actually called us to be the light of the world. So when I say I quit, that doesn't mean that you back away from serving other people. You know what it means? It means that you serve other people with the right motives. I'm not giving you an opt-out or, you know, collect $200 and get out of jail. I'm not saying that you don't serve other people in the church, in the community, anywhere. I'm saying you don't serve them with the wrong motives. Instead, you serve them with the right motives. Sometimes you have to empty your routine of some things that you don't need so that God can fill your heart with the things that you do need. So, if you do those three things, if you're driven by conviction instead of confidence, and you live proactive instead of reactive, and if you love instead of being loved, then you're on the right track. And you're ready to quit some things. And listen to me. Quitting is not about just making you successful so that you can achieve all of your goals. Quitting is essential. Quitting is essential for you to become the man or woman of God that you want to become, that you desire to become, because here's the thing when you quit you create margin when we quit you get out of that comfortable rut that you found yourself in when you quit you open up space for new opportunities many of you know a guy by the name of Bob Goff anybody know him Bob wrote the book the New York Times bestseller love does And in addition to that, Bob uh, founded Restore International. He's a lawyer. I didn't think lawyers could go to heaven, but I believe they can now. (laughs) I'm just kidding, okay? I have a friend who is a good friend of Bob. As a matter of fact, my friend has been to Bob's retreat in Canada. I think it's in Canada more than a few times. And I heard him tell this story about how Bob does something on Thursday. And maybe he's written this in his books. He calls it quitting Thursday. Anybody read that? But this is what Bob Goff does. He calls it quitting Thursday, where every Thursday he encourages people to quit stuff. Just quit something. So basically, Bob has a Thursday to-do list. Love God, love people, quit something. Love God, love people, quit something. Because he says you can't change much if you don't quit much. That's good. You can't change much if you don't quit much. Sometimes we have to give up perfectly good things to get even better things. So what does that say? It's all about a risk. It's all about a leap of faith. It's all about doing it and just trusting God with the rest. So let me me take this one step further. Why? Why? Why do we quit? Why is it important for us to look at our schedule and say, you know what? There are just some things I need to give up. Why is it important for me to quit? And I think the best place for me to start is right here. One of the reasons why you need to look at your schedule this week, this month, this year One of the reasons why you need to quit things is because this. Busyness does not equate to extra time. See, we live in a culture that says if we're busy, we're accomplishing things. We think that if we're in a hurry, that somehow we're storing up extra time. But that's simply not happening. Let me tell you, if you are in a hurry, you are storing up something. You know what you're storing up? You're storing up impatience and frustration and anger and stress. That's what you're storing up. You're not storing up extra time. Busyness will not equate to you having extra time in your already busy schedule. So we have to make the brave and obvious choice to look at our schedule and eliminate things and to quit things. Here's another reason why we quit. Because busyness does not equate to value. See, here's the problem. If left unchecked, I often drift toward valuing something else more, and that something else that I will value, I'm talking about me, Randy S. Cook, is busyness. If left unchecked, I will evaluate busyness more than other things. Because our culture today often puts greater value on busyness than it does on deep connectedness and friendships with other people. Why? Why would it do that? Because we've become convinced. We've become convinced that if we're not busy, then we're not valuable. We have to be busy. But deep transformation does not happen where you value busyness and achieving over loving and serving other people. I told you this several weeks ago. You can't live a hurried life and a compassionate life at the very same time. It just won't work. It's our love of speed, our love of uh, of our obsession with doing more and more and less and less time. That obsession has gone too far. Actually, it's turned into an addiction for a number of us, and that that addiction has manifested itself because you and I are overcommitted and overburdened and overwhelmed but Jesus comes along and here's what he says in Matthew chapter 11 he says come to me all of you you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light let me tell you it's time to stop It's time to stop feeding that always, I've got to always be on monster. I know many of you. It's time for you to stop feeding the monster that you've always got to be on. You've always got to be do something. See, here's the thing. Anytime you want to start doing something, you've got to quit something else. Anytime you want to start something, you've got to quit something So make the most of your time because you only get so much. 24 hours in a day, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds in a day. We all get the same. And I don't care how much money you have, you can't buy any more. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, it's so hard for us as as an American because we have first world problems. Things that in light of the rest of the world, they don't even matter. But we think there's so much that we have to accomplish. There's so much that we have to do. We have to stay busy. We have to do all these things. We have to complete all of these things. And in light of eternity, listen to me, every eye closed, every head bowed. In light of eternity, most of the things that you're going to do tomorrow, in light of eternity, they don't even matter. It's time to quit some things. It's time to put some things down. So that God can give you better things. So that God can take you to better places. You can live your life with that confidence. That he's in charge, and you're not. God, may we we understand this morning that we all have the same time in the day. We get the choice on how we're going to spend it. Are we going to be proactive or reactive? Are we going to be loving or try to be loved? I mean, what's it going to look like? God, my hope, my my, my prayer is that all of us, all of us in this audience, all of those watching online, all of those listening online, will choose to quit something so that we can experience and be the people that you've called us to be. God, we look forward to these next three weeks after today as we dive into Scripture and look at those things that we need to just say, you know what? I can live in the confidence that God gives me as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.